When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Legends Lounge. I'm True Withers, and with me today in the lounge, I've got former Haywood High School Tomcat and Kentucky Wildcat. He was a first-round draft pick of the Charlotte Hornets, and he is the founder of the Tony Delk Basketball Academy. We've got Tony Delk in the house. Tony, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. First things first, how are you, man? I am doing wonderful. No complaints. Just got back off the road from traveling, and I am happy to be home. I, I bet so. What uh, what had you on the road? Uh, I am an NBA scout for the Dallas Mavericks, so just got back from New Orleans, and I was watching the Memphis Grizzlies, Chicago Bulls, uh, Memphis Grizzlies Tuesday night, and Chicago Bulls last night, and you know, getting a chance to watch one of the most exciting players in the game, John Morant. You know, it's, it doesn't get any better than that. Just to see what kind of spectacular talent he is at right. such a young age, uh, and you know, you know, getting a chance to see the best players in the world play on a nightly basis. I am honored to do that on a nightly basis. I, I remember you used to jump like that, didn't you, Tony, back in Kentucky? Like I, I had some ups, man, but I, <laughs> I don't think I had the Ja Morant ups. I, I, I could get up off the up, off the floor, but, you know, Ja does it off one and two. I was more of a, a two-foot jumper, but, you know, I could if, – if I needed to, most of the time I was being lazy because we pressed for <laughs> pretty much the whole game, so I had to save my legs. Right, right. That's uh, that's why you wasn't jumping like Ja. Uh, no, definitely wasn't. No, no, no. Needing that press for uh, you know, 30, 25, 30 minutes, and that was our style. Uh, when I played at Kentucky, was pressing. So most of the guards, uh, we did most of the work. I hate to say that, you know, the big man that might be listening to this podcast, Walter McCarty, Antoine Walker. No, yeah, Walter, say that. Say their names. Call them Muhammad. out. The guards, we did all the work. We get the steal, and next thing you know, the big man are up, up underneath the basket. We have to toss them the ball, and they score. But we did all the work. Right, they get the uh, the the benefit of you all. They get the, the glory. Right, they, <laughs> it's a tough scene. Um, <laughs> let me. So, what does your uh, role scouting look like? Really, it's it's going and um, getting intel and kind of getting information on guys who might be a free agent, but also mm-hmm. looking for guys who would be a mass fit in. Um, guys who are able to play with Luca and just the the team that we have assemble in um in dallas but it's it's fun for me just to catch up with old friends who are assistant coaches mm-hmm. head coaches um it was funny just talking to the president of the uh new Orleans pelicans uh david griffin who was mm-hmm. the video coordinator when i played for phoenix suns oh wow and, uh, he's really come up the ranks and we were just reminiscing on some of the stories when i played for the phoenix suns yeah so i guess what's that like you reconnect with guys all these many years down later, uh, down the road later. Like at the time, did you think you'd be ever wear this hat, like the the scouting hat? No, you know it, it was something that I thought about. It was like wanting to be a GM, um, doing some player development, coaching, and scouting was one of those um, one of the the avenues of basketball that I wanted to try and see if it was something that I 
that I want to do long term. And, uh, you know, this is my second year going on with the math. So really just, you know, finding out that um, a lot of this is about relationships, you know, because right. I know the game. I played the game. I've been doing it for so many years. And now it comes down to learning the, the analytic side of basketball, also talking to people who are assistant GMs, GMs and presidents to understand um, how important I can be to our organization. But just from a standpoint of understanding the game, you know, outside of, you know, so much is about basketball, but then you have, you have your front office that behind, is behind the scene and they're making all the moves, you know, knowing the salary cap, knowing when players are going to become free agents, uh, making trades that make sense for our team and trying to get draft picks. So there's a lot of ins and outs that people don't understand and don't see. And I'm getting a chance to see it and witness it firsthand. Definitely. Um, now we'll get back to, you know, some of your, your post-basketball career, but I do like to ask all our legends off the jump. Tell me about your welcome to the NBA moment. <laughs> you know, it, it was, I, I tell the story about playing Chicago Bulls, probably third or fourth game when I was, with the Charlotte Hornets in 96. And when I tell you just an, an amazing team and just how um, a well-oiled machine they were, they were. And I remember, you know, going into the fourth quarter, I finally got in the game, you know, being a rookie playing on the team that had so many veterans, you know, when, you know, we had to be down, I had to be up by a lot of points and we were actually down by about 30 points to the bulls. And I remember looking over uh, on their, at their bench. I was like, wow, you know, Dennis, Dennis Robin, Michael Jordan, and Scotty Pittman were all icing their knees. And I was like, wow, you know, we had a whole a whole another 12 minutes ago and <laughs> the game was over with, you know. And right, had, essentially over for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had a really good team with Vladdy Divac, uh, Glenn Rice, Matt Geiger, uh, Anthony Mason. You know, we were sixth in the East that year and had won over 50 games. But, oh, so that team won 54 games, yeah, I believe? Four. And, we, um, and like I said, that, that, that Bulls team was just, I mean, they were so good. And then, like I said, you had Michael. Uh, who was definitely the best player that I'd ever played against. And, you know, when I, they said the GOAT, you know, I have, I have my top five and, uh, you know, Michael's right there. But just how they play defense, you know, and, right. you know, all their – the starters were locked in. The role players came and they, they knew their roles. And, you know, when you look at a, a championship caliber team, it has to come from the best player. You know, mm -hmm. he has to be committed to playing defense. You know, he has to be the leader. And that's what Michael Jordan was. Definitely. Uh I know you, you know, in scouting the game, you keep up now. Something Kevin Durant said recently, I'm curious to hear what you would have to say about it. He called out some teammates, you know, they haven't been playing as well lately. And he called guys out by name. Right. <laughs> by name. So <laughs> as, as a former player, I'm curious, how, what, what's your take on that? I'm sure, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much sure he had a discussion with those guys. I think KD, you know, is, is is a calculated guy, you know, he's, he's a guy that before something happens, you know, he's always discussed, you know, with players and, and then I think he just, some of it is, it's his frustration, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on, what has gone on there the whole time, his whole tenure with the, with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, with Kyrie being out and, you know, just James Harden came, played for a year and a half. He, he bounced getting Ben Simmons back. He's not a hundred percent. And just looking at the situation he left, you know, it's like when you leave something good, are great, you expected to transition right into something else and make a great lateral move. And his lateral move wasn't how he thought it was going to be. And right. when he, and when people start coming at him, it's like, listen, I can only do so much. You know, if, if there is, if we have to score 100 points, I'm not going to score 100 points. So his supporting cast is kind of like what has 
hindered him, but also not having Kyrie there, not having a third option. Because what makes great teams nowadays, especially, is when you have three options. You know, if you can always right. have two of your best players on the court, one player is, is taking a break, and then once one of the, the two players gets tired, then another player can come in and one is off the bench. And you can always keep two really good players on the court. You know, at least for injuries, uh, somebody gets court. hurt, you can yeah, having having the scoring on the on the on the court. But you know, it it was more about he needs some help. You know, it's it's tough. And I know, know they won a couple games with Jock Bud and everybody was like, Oh, you know, maybe that was the right move, uh coaching move. But at the end of the day, they really they they didn't play like the top tier uh top tier team. So Kevin is right. really just he just like I say, just Hashing out his frustration, and I think it's been like that, you know. And he he saw the writing the wall when you when you've already been a champion and you understand what it takes to to be a champion and have a championship caliber roster. He knows it, so there ain't no right. there's not. Sean Marks is not tricking him. You know, we're bringing some of those guys there. He's like, listen, okay, I can only do so much. Right. So if you're, which I agree with, but if you're one of those guys who heard your name call. Are you thinking that way? You know what I mean? If he, if you're the one that's like, hey, what, you called my name in this? Do you necessarily feel that way in the locker room? I mean, you do, but at the end of the day, these are role players. You know, none of you know none of these guys are 20, 30-point scores. Right. So it's not like that That message was directed at Kyrie Irving. You know, when you look at, like, a Royce, Royce O'Neal, you look at guys, Joe Harris, guys who are not 20-point scores or 25-point scores, these are guys that, you know, you want them to play great defense, be a part of a rotation, mm-hmm. maybe 10 to 12 point guys. And you're not, like I said, you can put three of those guys out there to collectively, that's going to be at best 45 points. And if KD scores 30, then you have 75 points. Where are we going to get the other 25 to 30 points? So he, he understands that when he played with Golden State or when Kyrie was there, when James Harden was there, they had a really good nucleus of three guys that can get you a hundred points. Right. But with this team, even on his best night, and teams are going to um, defend him differently. And when you know KD's Definitely. the best player on the court, we're going to double and triple team. I, I don't think most coaches and coaching staff know those other four guys will not beat us. If we contain him or he gets his 35, 40 points, and we let we hold these guys to 7 to 10, they're not going to beat us. And like you said, it's just not enough math. He's smart wise, enough yeah. and being – He's been in a position to know, like, you know, this is not going to work against a really good team or we're not going to go deep in the playoffs. Mm. Now, you talked about uh, coming into a loaded Charlotte Hornets team. You also, in college, you jumped onto a pretty, like, loaded college team. Yeah. So what what was that like for you uh, joining that Rick Pitino Kentucky team? That team was built over time. You know, when I first got there in 92-93, uh, we had a really good team. Made a deep Final Four run, lost to the Fab Five, but we were building something. You know, that year we came in, we had the best recruiting class. So with myself, Roger Rose, Walton Carty, Jared Prick, and Rodney Dent, we had five really good players. Still young, but you know, we were some of the top players coming out of high school. And then Rodney Dent was one; of, he was the top player coming out of JUCO. But um, as we started piecing things together, um, you know, guys had to make sacrifices. It's, it's the hardest thing to do when Every player that came in was probably the best player on his team, best player in his state. Right. Um, Might have been a McDonald's All-American. And how can you collectively as a coach get the chemistry where these guys play together, they sacrifice some of their offense, get locked in on defense, and buy into a system? So we really bought into a system. And then having um, 
you know, been to the Final Four myself. You know, I, I knew how hard it was and what it was going to take to get there. And just getting getting the guys to understand, like, we got we to gotta sacrifice. We got to work hard every day. And most kids, even in, in today's society, they don't understand what hard work is. You got to consistently do it. And then having Coach Patino was one of those guys that every time he, he came down to the court, I mean, we had to give 100%. There was nothing right. nothing less than that. And we learned so much from him just from um, from playing, but also just – his drills, um, his commitment to us. You know, he spent a lot of time and away from his family to uh, to teach us the game of basketball. I was asked, what? Yeah, what was it about Rick Pitino? Because again, you you came out of Tennessee. I'm sure you had plenty people telling you Memphis or Tennessee or yeah. you know go here and go there. So, what was that like? That 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 decision and what was it about Rick Pitino? I, th- I think you know, really, it was. Who got me to go there was Billy Donovan. Billy started mm. recruiting me my sophomore season. And um, from all the phone calls to sending me letters, driving to Brownsville, flying into Memphis, driving to my little small town to see me play, uh, meeting my family, talking to my brothers. Like, he knew exactly um, what, is, what it was going to take to get me. And most of that was, you know, talking to my mom, getting to know my dad, talking to my brothers. Like, he, I was about my family because as good as I was, I wasn't going to leave Brownsville to go to a prep school or go play in Memphis to go play in Nashville. Like I was committed to the guys I had played with since elementary middle school. And I wanted to finish my high school career with those guys, but taking a visit to Kentucky uh, for midnight madness, it was something different. It was special. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing thousands of fans wait in the cold, <laughs> watching guys play basketball at midnight. And, at that time, I, I didn't know the tradition of uh, of Kentucky. I knew about right. some of the championships. I didn't know how how the state. I mean, when they say bleed bleed uh, bleed blue, I'm, I'm really oh, thinking yeah. people, they probably do think they bleed blue blood. But um, they they had a they had a great feel for the game. When you when you have the only show in town, everybody watches what goes on with Kentucky basketball, Definitely. and you know seeing all of the great players that played there. Um, I think I understood it better after I left. Even even when the championship, I was like, wow, you know, that was that was great, but you know, I'm a part of history. You right. know, and, and, and now as people reflect on the championships that that was that have been won there, you know, I'm one of those teams that won um won a championship. And ninety-six was a special year. You know, we all we all returned. Um some of us could have could have gone to the NBA. I I could have I thought about leaving. I was gonna say you were among those guys. Yeah, you I probably could have. Yeah, a, had a discussion with my mom. We talked about it, and, and I was really close to getting my degree. And I promised her I would get my degree. And I'm so glad I uh, actually stayed to win the championship to get my college degree. Because once I made it, I don't think I would have went back to college. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm being I'm being honest. You know, every year my yeah. father was she was asking me, "Are you coming back to work on your uh, on your master?" I was like, "Yeah, you know, give me give me a couple." I get around weeks, to call it. You. It went from one year to two years, three years, and finally she was like, listen, you're not coming back. <laughs> right. Give it up. Uh, but hey, mom knew. You, you stayed the last year, graduated, won the championship. And I was going to ask, recruiting-wise, you mentioned some of those names that came in uh, to the recruiting class with you. What was that process like? Because you mentioned, you know, went up against the Fab Five. Yeah. Was that like a, a joint decision of guys? Like, yeah, we're going to – Kentucky, or we're going to a place together. What was that process really, like? You know, it's funny because with social media being um, so important to this generation right now, um, you know, we really didn't have the connection. Like, even right. as I went to Kentucky, 
I knew about Roger Rhodes. Um, Walter, Walter McCarty was one of the best players in Indiana. I didn't know Jared Prickett, who's from West Virginia. Rodney Dent, I didn't know a whole lot about him uh, coming from JUCO. And it wasn't that when we all came in for that visit, we talked about, oh, yeah, we're going to all come back here. You know, I had a great visit. Jared had a great visit. Right. Walter had a great visit. Roger was – he was – at that time, he was going to Seton Hall. He wasn't even coming to Kentucky. He just took a visit, mm-hmm. you know, just out of out of uh, respect to Coach Patino. And right. we all came, and, and, and when we left, I remember leaving, not knowing what my decision was going to be because I really was thinking my mom wanted me to go to Arkansas. And uh, mm-hmm. so when I got back, I, I told her, I said, I really, I really like Kentucky. I said, there was some, something about Kentucky – that um, I feel like it was it was it was more of a family. Not to say Arkansas wasn't in Memphis, but right. there was something about my connection to Billy Donovan and his wife. Um, and you know, it wasn't about the players that were there because I didn't think about the players. I was thinking about this is Tony Doug making a decision to come to Kentucky. Not it was going to be on the guys who uh, came on a recruiting visit, but I felt right. like there was something special about Kentucky. And I'm so glad that you know as I made my decision to stay because at Doing parts of that that freshman season, you know, Coach Patino, we had a discussion. I was I was going to transfer. You know, I wasn't playing mm-hmm. a lot, watching my peers play. Um, you know, where would you have went? Um, I think I just would have came home, maybe Tennessee, uh, Memphis, somewhere close yeah. close to home. But I'm so glad that you know when I had a discussion with him, we we just talked about the future. You know, when you're 18, you know, you don't see what could take long place three years on the wrong. Yeah, you right. you're not even thinking long term. You're thinking about I've been playing since my middle school days, starting being one of the best players, uh, and then trying to understand why am I not playing? Like what I, what I have to do to get on the court? But at that time, I it, it was the speed of the game, um, understanding what I need to do defensively, learning just how to play with other good players. Because when my three years of high school, I always played with the ball in my hand, so I could take any shot. You know, I was I, I was the offense. You know, everything right. ran through me. And I had to learn how to play with other great players. So it gave me a chance to transition to the NBA and find my role and find my niche. Mm. Were there any guys like that stick out from that team or from that time that kind of helped you? Because again, yeah, you were dropping onto a talented team. You weren't necessarily going to get 35 minutes and 20 shots a game. And it can be a tough transition, but was there anybody along the way that was like, Hey, I was in your shoes. I was 18 a couple of years. You know what I mean? I know where you're, what you're going through. I, the former players at, at that time were Dale Brown and Sean Woods, mm-hmm. who I'm still good friends with now. Um, you know, just knowing my game, seeing me play, and, and just knowing how hard I was that I worked. You know, and just saying mm-hmm. it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna work itself out. You know, you have to be patient. You know, and and that's I think that's the thing that's that's the most difficult at the time is being patient and, and waiting right. your turn, um, knowing that okay, I'm gonna have the next three years if I stay here for three years. I should be the start of the next three years, but I'm thinking about myself at this moment and watching your peers play, you know, watching guys that were not ranked as high as me, that they're getting playing time. They're having so much fun. And, uh, and I was, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience to me, um, uh, my freshman season, but, hmm. and then going into the, going into the lab, going into, um, you know, staying extra with Billy Donovan, staying nights, working with him. He's working on my shot watching film, you know, I really became a student of the game and I had to go back to the lab and, and, you know, really work on some things, but also not, not going home for the summer. You know, I I was, I was devoted, you know, I was like, Hey, 
if I'm going to turn my game around and become a, a great player again, I have to sacrifice and, and not go and hang out in the summertime with my friends. You know, I stayed. I went right. to summer school, and uh, every day I was in the lab working on my game. And when it, when that sophomore season rolled around, you know, I, I was back starting again. So you, you know, work through that, get to the senior year, and I guess at what point do you realize, like, wow, we can win the championship? I think when we lost in 95 to North Carolina, we were right there. Mm. Um, we played a really good game against them, and um, – we got into early. Walter McCarty got his got his second foul early, early into the game, and that hurt us from not from from uh, taking one of our players. And he was having a really good game against them. You know, he probably had like eight to ten points starting out, um, knocked a couple threes down. He was the head of our press, and when he got his second foul, like that took one of our energy guys out of the game. And you know, that team was that team had really good players. You know, with Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace. Jeff McGinnis, who, who were all pros, um, you know, we knew we had our work cut out. But I think if we we had gotten past them, you know, we had faced Arkansas. We had beaten them in the SEC tournament. And, uh, you know, I thought we would have been in a position to win it. But when you can add a Derek Anderson, a Ron Mercer, a Wayne Turner, you get better. Right. And that's what we did. So after that, what what do you remember about the draft process? I guess the, like the combine draft process, because you were part of that – famous 1996 draft so what, mm-hmm. what what do you remember about leading up to that process well i knew there's a lot of talented young players you know i wish some, some of those young guys had stayed a year or two then i would have been <laughs> i, I would have been a lottery pick you know right. being going 16 wasn't bad you know it, it was uh at that time they was drafting guys on potential and probably the top of the draft was you know mostly young players but you know knowing what i what i what i was capable of how i played and i was very confident in my game you know i wasn't mm-hmm it didn't matter who got drafted ahead of me. I knew I could play, you know, it's right. just a matter of what team I was, I was going to, how I fit in with their scheme and, um, you know, just figuring the game. I think that's the one great thing that coach Patino was doing at the time. He was preparing guys for the, for the NBA, you know, mm-hmm. with all the hard practices, um, you know, a lot of things that were mental that were going on and, and just being competitive and, bringing the best players, you know, uh, from high school and turning them guys into pros, he did his part. He did his right. part preparing us. So it, it was, for me, it wasn't a difficult transition. Mm. You know, I was like, I'm ready for this. So going through four years of, of um, I'm not going to say torture, but it, it was <laughs> a lot of days. Uh, I was like, man, I want to keep playing basketball. But uh, he got the most out of all of us. When you have a coach like him that's motivated, uh, love loves basketball. Want to see players develop and improve. You know, you you gonna you gonna give them everything, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. So then again, as I mentioned, you drafted to Charlotte. That team wins fifty four games. So are you feeling like once you get there, this is familiar? I know I'm gonna have to work for my minutes again. Or are you feeling like, man, I thought like I I thought I already went through this. <laughs> I think it, I think it prepared me for that. You know, I think I was ready for right. what I was like. You know, having Muggsy Bogues, Dale Curry. Lynn Rice. I mean, we, we had probably 10 veterans on the team, but I, but I was ready. It, it was, you know, I, I, you know, God rest his soul. I became really uh, great friends with Anthony Mason, you know, and, and that was mm. my, that was my vet that I hung out with the, the vet that I respected that he, he respected my game because he knew how hard I played. And he, he said, just be ready. He said, 82 game, 82 game season, um, you know, be ready to play. And sure enough, get it. We go, um, get to the playoff and I'm starting in the playoff. 
you know, right. which is, you know, a whole nother level of intensity playing against New York Knicks. We got swept, but it was, it was a different level from the regular season. And by that time, once I went through that, that playoff run, every team I played with it, when we made it to the playoff, I knew it was going to be different, you know, and I was, right. and I was ready for it. So there were so many lessons that was learned uh, at Kentucky that prepared me for that, you know, made the transition to the NBA easy. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't difficult. What was the biggest jump you noticed just from regular season to postseason? Because we've heard, like, I think Draymond Green infamously said there's 82 game players and there's a 16 game player. So what mm-hmm. what separates those? defense? Defense. Mm-hmm. How how detailed they are. Like you're not you're not on the back to back. You know you you can sit there and really game plan and watch film over and over and over. Play to see mm-hmm. tendencies uh, and and a lot of those things were taken away from you. You know, so if you if you wasn't a player. They didn't have you didn't have counter moves that it was difficult when if you came off a pin down, which is a, a big man setting the screen and you're a really good curl player. If that big man switches out or the guard helps from the passer, then you got to make an adjustment right. and certain guys who didn't have that in their game. They struggled. So they they took away certain things that you did well. And that's what you do in a playoff. Like we can really just find we can really just zone in and say, hey, we're taking this away from you like this is. This was a strength during the regular season. It's not going to be a strength in the playoffs. Right. So we get that rookie season, correct? You were starting by the playoffs your rookie season? Yes, I was. So then I feel like you're starting to get into a groove, and then you're traded to Golden State. I know. When was <laughs> it? How many games in? Like, what, what do you remember about that process, getting traded to Golden State? You know, it's difficult to get traded because, you don't. you know, you feel like a team is giving up on, you know, and, and I was mm. – like I said, after finishing the playoff, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get more playing time. And um, that that season, my second season, they signed David Wesley. So they wanted David Wesley to come in and be the starting point guard, you know. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, so, you know, we got – I think I got traded probably the eighth or ninth game of that season. And it was just so – what made it difficult was, like, I had never lived out west, you know. So going from mm. – from Charlotte to California, I was like, man, you know, either I'm going to like it, I'm going to, I'm going to hate it. But it was, it was a really good move during that time. Um, you know, moving to Golden State, I felt like, okay, this is a team I can, I can find my own, I can play, and I, and I had to come out and, and find where where my game was. You know, as far as like being one of those guys that got traded, and mm-hmm. and you feel like, okay, this team is giving up on me, but now this team really wanted me, and I'm gonna make it work here. And the first year was a Oh gosh, it was a struggle. It was, it was us losing, probably the first six games. But as I told him when I got there, I said I've won some games. I said we came, we got traded to Charlotte. So Golden State might have been zero and nine, zero and eleven. But I said I'm not taking all those losses. (laughs) Y'all lost those. (laughs) Yeah, Uh... my resume had wins on it. (laughs) You you said you you told who that who you referred. Oh, I was I was telling the players. They they was like, yeah, man. yeah, we we got to win a game. I said I don't want some games. <laughs> I said I haven't won yeah. even here, but uh, I want some games to start this season out. You know, say so we. Uh, but it was so funny because we had a lot of young players on that team, and our best player at that time was Freewell. You know, and I had a chance to uh, I knew him from my junior college. And my one of my yeah. high school teammates that was uh, older than us, he played with Spree at three three rivers junior college. Okay. And uh, so I had met Spree then, so got to know him a little bit. And of course, Joe Smith. We had uh, Dampier, who of course we played against each other in college, and it, it was it was some guys I knew. Now you 
was that the PJ Carlissimo Sprewell? Yeah, you, you were there for that. Oh yeah, I was. Yes. <laughs> oh wow. What What do you remember that, about that? That was quite an incident. That uh, you know, you got to think about you know just a, a coworker choking or you know having an incident with their boss, and it didn't. It didn't. It was like it didn't seem real. So as we're sitting there, it was in practice. I was like, man, it seemed like you know. This is intense, you know, because I, I remember <laughs> I remember him telling him to do something, and then actually, you no, know, it was like I looked around, I was like, oh wow, and and you know, <laughs> at that time they broke it up, ended up, uh, you know, coaches stepped in, players was like, we were like stunned, and so coach coach uh, PJ he said, go get some water. He said, guys, go get, go get water. I'm like, man, like you might want to go go get yourself checked out. I said, you might want to leave. You might want to leave the gym, right? Like, don't worry about us. So it, it was it was intense, you know, and I think a lot of that was we were losing. Right. Uh, the team wasn't very good. Um, uh, PJ had that coach, uh, college coach mentality, screaming at guys. And you know, once once you get to that level, I mean, you can just talk man to man. There's there's no more screaming and trying to get guys motivated. Either either they're going to play, or they're not going to play. You know, the screaming right. ain't to do what? Like, what are they going to do for me? Like my my check like ain't college. Come in yeah, this ain't college. So what? You can't. Right. What, what you gonna put them on the bench? I'm still gonna get paid. Right. So I get. How does a team bounce back after that? Like I get. Like nobody. I would imagine nobody's seen anything like this. It's not like no. oh our. Yeah, so what? How do you go forward after that? You know, it's it's. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I was young. I was what 20, 22 at the time. You know, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to lean on the bets uh, like Brian Shaw and Mugby Bogues and. Uh, uh, some of the guys that have, that were there, and, and like I said, it was, it was new for all of us. You know, we we all wanted to win, but it was still, you know, something that we look back on and say either we come together or we have to figure this thing out. And I think we did a great job of just figuring it out, working hard, and making sure that as we uh, play, we got to compete for each other. You know, it, it's about us. You know, right. you have to make it about the players. And as far as the coaches, you know, I think that helped coach – Coach uh, PJ just understand like you know how to deal with players. You know it's mm. it's such a players league, and it was a player league league back then. I mean, players if if we're not playing for you, we we decide hey, you know what, this season doesn't mean anything to us, and we start losing games, and we're not feeling the coach. Chances are they're not getting rid of all the players. They can get rid right. of a coach. Right. What I guess what's the thing that would make uh, a coach lose a locker room? Like what is it where it's like his message is just not registering from your experience. If he doesn't hold the best player accountable. And mm. what I mean is his mistakes, him not practicing hard, him not playing defense. And that's the one thing we all respect about Coach Patino is that he held all of us accountable. You know, it didn't matter if I was an All-American. Right. Um, it didn't matter if he was the number one player in the country. It didn't matter if he was Jamal Mashburn. He held all of us accountable. And it was much harder on the player who he, who he considered to be the best player. Like my mm-hmm. senior year was, oh, he was, he was like on me every day. I was like, man, I said, you know, here I am, first team All American. I'm like, man, this dude is. I mean, what else can I do for him? But he wanted, he didn't want me to, to you know, to get complacent. And what happened was, it drove everybody else because if he was on me about my defense, how I was playing, mm-hmm. then no one else had any room for error. Right, he can get on everybody the same way. Yeah, they they hold their they hold their star players, the best players, accountable. And those mm-hmm. guys, 
you know, at the end of the day, they understand, you know, um, what the coach expect out of them. Hmm. Now, you were – how long were you in Golden State? Two seasons? Two seasons, yeah. Two, two seasons. seasons. Mm-hmm. Then Sacramento. Yes. Then Phoenix. I, I, I kind of jumped around. Did you feel like it was hard to get in, like, a rhythm? It places? was. It was. You know, I, I really thought when I – when I, I had a really good year of – the last 40 games in Sacramento was really good. You know, so I had a, you know, that year I was going to be, I was a free agent and I could have gone back with them uh, for two years. And then I signed a six year deal with Phoenix. So I'm thinking like, wow, I'll get right. six years. I'm, a, You know, I really, at that time, Phoenix was one of my favorite cities that I want to live in. And, you know, just the dream of playing with Jason Kidd, I knew I would mm-hmm. probably be there for three or four years. And of course, get traded to Phoenix and I know I signed as a free agent with Phoenix and then I get traded, you know, a year and a half into that, into that deal. Um, and then the Boston, I was like, wow, you know, now it's, it's heck of cold. It's so cold. <laughs> right. I go from the West coast to now the East. And, and, um, but you're right. It was never me really getting to a point where I, I could call a team home, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what, I think from uh, my playing days is that if I could have changed anything, it would have been probably signed a deal with a with a no trade once I once I got mm. a chance to have some leverage because to, right. to get that you got to have leverage. Yeah, and I I feel like we would see that more with guys guys that would probably sacrifice some money if it's like okay I know I have that no trade so you can't just yeah get me out of here. Well, well, it make it makes the team think about trading you because there's money tied into it now. It's great for the player because he gets paid money. But at the end of the day, if you find you sign a deal and you, you know, the city is cool. You like the city. The team, like I said, is not doing, you know, they, they're doing well. You want to go where you feel wanted. And mm-hmm. you still want to be the setup shop to a point where how, how I got better at Kentucky, like each and every year I got better because I was in a system. Right. We added players. We had great chemistry. Uh, the synergy level was at an all-time high. And during that time, I knew what it what it would take to win a championship because if you keep moving these players around, keep moving parts, you're not going to have a great team. Eventually, right. like I said, players going to leave and players not going to be happy. But if you can keep players, especially your core players, and then you got to have some really good role players to buy into you know, their roles, that's what I had gotten really good at. I could buy into my role, and I could help out any team. As a scout, has that been – Hard to find a guy who maybe starred at one level, but his next his best chance for success at the next level might be taking a step back and being a role player. Is that is that hard scouting? It really is. It's, it's difficult because you know what you're capable of doing. Maybe that coach hasn't seen your game enough, or but players know it. At the end of the day, I think players are smart enough to know the guys that can play. You know, is it, there's you're not tricking or fooling anybody when it comes to understanding basketball or a guy can play or not. And just because I'm a role player don't mean like, you know, in the summertime, like I can't bust your butt. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this is not, <laughs> this is not, uh, I'm still a professional. Right yeah. It's not the coach telling me what to do or run the play through you. I'm like, no, we, we playing basketball now, but um, you know, you have to embrace it. I was fine with it um, because I knew exactly, you know, what I could do and, and the players that practiced, they knew what I could do. So it wasn't like, when I stepped on the court, I, I couldn't shoot the ball. I couldn't dribble the ball. I'm like, no, I can do all those things. Because I worked on them my whole life, preparing for if if it came down to me being one of those guys that a team relies on the score, I've always been a scorer. That that gift will, had never left me. 
it was just when I went to these teams, they already had their star players or guys that were paying more money than me, and they ran the offense through them. Is that a hard thing for to get younger guys to accept? Or you say, I mean, like you said, to an extent, players are self aware, but to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, you're like, you know, even though there might have been a veteran guy who they were trying to push out the league, and I'm seeing him, and I'm a young player. I'm like, this dude's still that game. I mean, I don't understand why they're not playing him, you know. But in their minds, maybe the owners, owners' mind, the president, the GM mind, we're going younger. We want to, we want to bring on our next, next uh, young talent for the next ten to twelve years, or eight to eight to twelve years, and they're pushing the older guys, the veteran guys, out. But it doesn't mean because the veteran guys are sitting on the bench or what the organization wants to do that that player can't play. It's that they're going in a different direction. And I've been in a position where I was that player, still had game left, but the team, because we wasn't doing well, they wanted to bring the young guy. They wanted to develop the young player. So I understood that. That's fair. Um, I guess, where, where do you think you played your best NBA ball at? Because again, you, I think like my you, best you, ball yeah. was, um, it was in Phoenix. I thought I really played well mm-hmm. in Phoenix. Um, I had a good run my second year. When I got traded from Phoenix to Boston, I had a really good run that that whole season because I played for um, Coach O'Brien, who was my college assistant coach. So he knew my game. You know, he knew I wasn't a point guard. He was like, Tony, you're a player. You know, and that's that's what I love about today's game is that you're not labeled. Like during Mm -hmm. my time, you were labeled. Oh, you got to be a point guard. You got to be a shooting guard. You have to be a small forward. You have to be a power forward. They were labeled. Like it's a positions game now, which – coach that's how coach o'brien played me as a position player he said tony you can you can guard you can defend you can score no you're not a pure point guard but you do other things to help our team and that's where i thought a coach looked at my game because he knew my game from college he played to my strengths Hmm. now you also did some coaching yourself after retiring what what was that like for you because i know like you you talked something about yeah it was different because um you know you have to coach with love more so than uh, <laughs> screaming at guys. Like when I was coming along, you know, that's, that's how you got our, got our attention. I think this, this group of kids, this generation, you, you don't have to deal with them differently. You know, you have to talk to them and, you know, actually they, they need to be appreciated and loved to get, to get the most out of them. You know, players don't respond. And then, and I hate it as a player, you know, and I try not to coach that way uh, with the, screaming at guys i'm like listen you know what i'm just gonna put you on the bench or i'm just gonna tell you once or twice and i'm gonna move on i don't have time to to raise my blood pressure screaming at you and knowing that you might not even care about basketball so you have to be (laughs) conscious of those guys who love it compared to the guys who like it the guys who love it they're going to keep doing it they they want you to coach they want to be coached the ones that like it is you know even saying something that you kind of you know the feeling you know the kids that like it i know the kids that love it and the kids that love it they want to be coached. Hmm. Now, won't take too much of your time. We appreciate you. Uh, but can you tell us more about the the Tony Delk Basketball Academy? Yeah, we started we started in uh, started doing it in 2018, and we started with a um, with the fall league. You know, there were some parents mm-hmm. that wanted me to have a fall league, so we was like, okay, we'll have a, a fourth grade fall league team. And before we knew it, uh, we had a winter league. We had some winter league teams. Then we had an AAU season, came back and did a fall league, winter, AAU, and we just kept going on and on up until today. And we have three teams now that um, 
for our winter league, a fourth, fifth, and a sixth grade team. But it's been fun. We've we've had a bunch of players come through the program um, and really just helping out with the teaching the parents, mm-hmm. helping them understand like what we need to do as far as like uh, develop our kids and make our kids better. Uh, and when you can do that, you know the kids, you know, respond to us if the parents are on board. So really, it's trying to get the parents to buy in. You know, to invest in their kids, to let them know it's going to be hard work. There are going to be some good days, some bad days. But what helps is when the parents see our vision, see what we're trying to do. And I'm I'm really all about teaching them the basic fundamentals of basketball. I don't want to, I don't want kids coming out trying to shoot threes. You're not Steph. You're not Clay Thompson. You're not Kevin Durant. Be the not best yet. version of yourself. Not yet. But you have to put the time in. I, I don't think. This generation is all about four and five hours of work. You know, they want to watch some highlights. They want it to be quick. <laughs> and they want it to happen overnight. I'm like, no, you have to put, you know, you have to be devoted. You have to be, I'll say you have to, when I say about talking about sacrificing early, you have to be willing to sacrifice some sleep and playing some games, hanging out with friends. And if you're not, then basketball is going to end for you at some point. Like you're not going to make it to the highest level if you, Try to take a shortcut to success. Right. Is that like what you're saying to like the guys that like it and the guys that love it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There, there is, you know, and, and it's okay to like it. I mean, it's at the end of the day, everybody's not gonna make it. But can you mm-hmm. can you get better? Can you get yourself? Can you can you get a scholarship? Can you uh use basketball or football or baseball to make connections to keep you around the game? Because if you love it. It doesn't always mean you're going to make it to the highest level. There's so many other jobs that are in front office jobs that you can be doing and still be part of the NBA family. Right. And yeah, to that, you might do it and not for everybody didn't play forever. No. You know what I mean? So after Ball that. Uh, for all of us. I don't care how great you are, how many uh, championships you have won, how many points you have scored. It will end for everyone who plays. Definitely. Uh, and last question I have before we let you go. So we've seen coaching, scouting, uh, founder. What's what's next for Tony Delk? I don't know. I, I'm. I take it. Uh, I try to take it one day at a time. I, I don't. I don't like looking too far ahead or planning anything. You know, I, I live for the moment. I, I remember Coach Patino telling us, "Live for the precious present." Hmm. And I said, you know, at that time I'm 18. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you got to you got to plan for the future. You got to still think about. You gonna think about the past, but. He said, you got to live for now. Get the most out of now. And what will happen now, you know, will lead into you having a great future. But take care of the precious present. There it is. Tony Delk, my man, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge. My pleasure. Take care. You too, man. You got an open seat. Uh, come back anytime. Got you. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. Thank you for stopping by Legends Lounge, brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter. Thank you for stopping by the Legends Lounge, as brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge, and be sure to subscribe and rate the Legends Lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.